Again, I'm out of breath. I think I need to lie down. <laughs> My life. Bear with me. What's worse is that water in it. Oh, shattered. Okay, we're going to delve deeper into God's Word again, continuing our season on real faith, looking through Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, let's pray, then I'll explain what we're going to be doing. Yeah, Father God, we thank you so much about that greatest day in history 2,000 years ago that makes this possible, that makes us family, that makes us your children, debt in for eternity with you. It's all because of that one moment, which is all because of a rescue plan you prepared before time began. Lord, you are an amazing God. And Lord, as we dig deeper into your word again, may we understand some more of you. May you reveal, through the words I have to say, through your Holy Spirit in our hearts, may you reveal some more of you. Mysteries and, and wonders that we can act upon. We don't want just head knowledge this morning. We want something that impacts, impacts us, challenges us, provokes us to change, to honour you more in our daily lives. That's our heart this morning. So Lord, speak to us, we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So yes, we continue through Hebrews 11. If you're not already there, you may turn to Hebrews 11. We've got just two verses to read this morning, verses 20 and 21. But we've got a whole lot more scripture to back up those two verses. We've got lots of scripture reading this morning. Just to bring you up to speed, we are going through this chapter understanding what faith really is, and that it means to trust God. It's not magical incantations and praying so much that he'll finally give in. It's trusting a good God who is sovereign, who cares for his people. A couple of weeks ago, John DeRobeck from City Church came and spoke to us, didn't he, on Abraham. Abraham part one, if you like. He reminded us of three L's. Can you remember his three L's? The first one, that Abraham listened to God. This is a guy who is from a pagan land. He heard from God and he acted upon it. Amazing step of faith alone there. The second L, he looked forward. That's right. He remembered the promises that God had gave him and he never gave up despite what was going on around him. And the third L, can you remember? He held a light grip and the stuff around him. He considered everything else rubbish, if you like, like Paul says. Everything else is rubbish compared to the great hope he has in God. And then last week, David brought us Abraham part two, which was the, uh, the almost taboo subject in some parts of the church around the world, talking about the story of Abraham and Isaac, how God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Some people don't like talking about that, but it's a true story. It's in the Bible. We need to talk about it. And David helps us introduce us, what was new to me, the fact that God asking Isaac to sacrifice his only son, the way the word loved is in the Bible, indicates that Abraham idolised him. And God was saying, there's a danger of you loving him more than me. We need to get things right here, for your sake as well as my glory. And that's what happened, and that's what we learned about last week. So the next two verses we're looking at today are verses 20 and 21 of Hebrews 11. They seem a little bit innocuous when you read them, and you wonder why they're in there, but hopefully we'll find out. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, which are his grandsons, and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Two verses that are very similar in a lot of ways, both involving Jacob, 
So read them again. By faith Isaac blessed, these are his twin sons, Jacob and Esau, remember. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And by faith one of those sons, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. The first thing that struck me when I read those was what does that have to do with real faith? What, I mean, why doesn't it say by faith Isaac trusted his dad when he took him up the mountain, kept his mouth shut and trusted his dad when he got bundled up in a bit of rope, chucked on a lump of rock and saw his dad standing there over him, big lechy smile maybe, I don't know on his face, this, this dagger glinting in the sun. He's going, it's all right dad, I trust you. By faith he kept his mouth shut. By faith he didn't say anything. If he'd said anything, if he contested and wrestled and fought with Abraham, that would have been in the Bible. It doesn't say that. Why does Hebrews not say, by faith, Isaac trusted his dad? It doesn't. It says, by faith, he blessed his sons. What's that all about? Why doesn't it say, by faith, Isaac prayed about him, his and his wife's infertility because they couldn't conceive, and God answered that prayer? If I was writing Hebrews, I'd have put something like that in there. I wouldn't have put that he blessed his sons. Seems a bit random, doesn't it? It isn't, because it's in the Bible. But it does seem that way. Why does it not say, by faith, Jacob served diligently for 14 years for the woman he loved, even though he knew his future father-in-law was a deceptive and manipulative man. I'd have put that in there. It's a much better story about standing by faith, isn't it? Rather than he blessed his grandsons. It's in there for a reason. So hopefully we're going to find out. We're going to look at both of those stories. Isaac blessing his twin boys in Genesis 27. We're going to read all of the chapter. And we're going to read all of Genesis 48. <coughs> when Jacob blesses his grandsons, Joseph's boys. But first of all, let's just understand a little bit of what is meant by this blessing. Because there is a cultural formality that was going on at the time, three and a half thousand years ago, in which fathers blessed their sons. Mostly, when they knew they were dying, they would ask their sons to come to them, and they would pronounce a blessing over them. It's not something we understand these days, is it? Because a blessing is the act of invoking a divine protection or an aid. It's the bestowal of a divine gift or a favour. To be blessed means to have favour poured upon you by your earthly father or, in biblical scriptural terms, by our heavenly father. It's have favour poured upon us, is to be blessed. That's what it means. And the biblical definition of a blessing, this time when a father calls his sons for a blessing, this is about the prophetic announcement. This is God working through the father the father passing what he believes God has, to, has prepared in terms of promises for the sons. This is a prophetic announcement by which the head of the family passed on favours to his children. So here now, in Herne Bay, in 2010, we don't do anything like that. And in fact, death is probably a bit of a taboo subject. It's not something we in Britain tend to talk about. Most people in the general public, it's not a subject they talk about freely, is it? Possibly because most people are frightened about what or what isn't on the other side. Thank God we have that security. We know there is a great hope. There is life after death. Not everybody has that security, so people don't want to talk about it. And I'd understand why. Not everybody's particularly uh, excited about the dying bit. <laughs> everybody's scared about that, or many people can be. So this whole idea of, I'm dying, I need to pass a blessing onto my children, this whole formality, cultural formality, is not something we talk about. And in fact, with Amy, I'm actually trying to talk about the subject of death in a sensitive manner, I'm not scaring her. Come and watch this horror movie. But I'm just trying to talk to her, just to explain to her that it is a normal part of life and it's something we need to talk about. So just in, in opportunities, I, I raise the subject with her. We talk about it. When animals die, when, when our, our little dog Rosie died, I was able to bring up the subject with her, just to get it in her mind that it happens to all of us. 
It's not something to be frightened of when you have Jesus on your side, when he's your Lord and Saviour, but it's something to talk about. Trouble is, the result of that is now she's divvying up our estate and working out what she's going to get. And she said to me the other day, when Nanny and Papa die, can we move into their bungalow? <laughs> so, uh, next time you read wallpaper, I'll have words with you about what we're going to have. Is that right? But back then, people understood what this cultural formality was about blessing the sons when the father's dying. So let's have a look at Genesis 27, first of all. Look at Isaac blessing his twins. What makes me laugh is this is Isaac calling his boys because he feels he's dying, calls them for the blessing. He survives for another 43 years. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> well done. It must have been his cornflakes and his milk or something. Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty meat I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca, this is the mum, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, eavesdropping. It's a bit sneaky. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, this is the twin brother, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him, and would bring down a curse on myself, rather than a blessing. So note, Jacob already recognises the reality of curses and blessings in those days, and the power of them. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Which is quite a big thing to say then, isn't it? Let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob's. He didn't even try to put on a voice, did he? But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognise him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. <laughs> then, then he, it's definitely like that, I'm sure. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought some wine and he drank. 
Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Notice what's going on here. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. Uh-oh. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came out deceitfully and took your blessing. (coughs) Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And then he said, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. We'll just read the next verse. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. That pronouncement that Isaac made over Esau in light of what had already happened to Jacob, must have sounded so bitter to Esau. Imagine how he felt when he went out hunting game for his dad, knowing his blessing as the firstborn son was coming. He must have been on an absolute high, doing what he loved. He was a man of the wilderness. He was big and hairy and strong, and he loved hunting game. He was doing what he loved for the father that he loved and about to get the blessing that he was going to love. Imagine how bitter these words must have been when he came in to find out what had happened. Talk about utter fury. I can understand why he wanted to kill Jacob. Rightly or wrongly, I can get that. See, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. You see, sometime earlier, Esau, and it mentions here in this text, Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob. The birthright is is the actual inheritance. And he, was, he came, from hunt, came in from hunting, he was absolutely starving, almost literally starving, I guess, because of the way he's willing so easily to give up his birthright. And Jacob says, give me your birthright, or I'll give you some of this stew. He's so sneaky. That takes after his mum, doesn't he? This birthright, this inheritance, and the privileges of the firstborn son were transferable. 1,500 years BC, there are texts from Mesopotamia that talk about transferable inheritances. And actually, there is a record of a guy who sold his own inheritance for a sheep. 
And that's exactly what Esau did with Jacob. So he's lost his birthright, and now this great blessing, this prophetic announcement of favour upon him that's coming as firstborn has now been taken away from him as well. Again, by Jacob. He's been usurped twice, isn't he? What was his reaction? What was his response? There was no humility or grace here, is there? What would be your reaction and your response, honestly? Esau was filled with bitterness, with hatred and with revenge for his brother. So much so he wanted to kill him. But no, these aren't children or teenagers we're talking about. For so many years, I've read this story and pictured these guys as about 19 or 20. They're both actually 77, believe it or not. You can work it backwards from the years and the ages given from Joseph and work backwards. These guys are 77 at the time. These are old men. How would you have reacted? It's a big question, isn't it? When a colleague at work gets promotion when you think you deserve it more, or you think they deserve it less, when they get promoted ahead of you, or given responsibility that you'd like to have, how do you feel? When someone gets asked to be a worship leader on a Sunday morning, for example, and you haven't even been asked to be in the band yet, rightly or wrongly there, but how do you feel? What is your response is what I'm talking about this morning. How do you feel about that? When people get invited to dinner at someone else's that you'd like to be invited to and you haven't, rightly or wrongly, how do you feel? What is your response is what God will want to talk to you about. You're always the bridesmaid and never the bride, so to speak. (laughs) But what's important is our heart. What is your response? What is your reaction? See, here, years were wasted in unforgiveness between Jacob and Esau. 20 years. Because the rest of the story goes that Esau vowed to wait until the dad was dead and that he's going to kill his brother. So Rebekah gets wind of this, tells Jacob to flee. Isaac gets wind that she's told him to flee. And he actually advises him, actually, I think you better go. He advises him to flee. And in, so doing so, in, in doing so, he reinforces the blessing. He repeats it. He reinforces the blessing over Jacob because he knows before God that is set in place. So he actually reinforces it. And after 20 years, Jacob and Esau finally make up. But their descendants, this unforgiveness, this animosity, this enmity between the two clans is already in there. Even though the forefathers, Jacob and Esau, make up after 20 years, it's still in there. Jacob, his name gets changed later to Israel. He becomes the father of Israel, as we know it today. That's where the nation comes from. Esau becomes the father of Edom, which is, if you've got Israel and the Dead Sea, Edom's down here. It's what we know as southern Jordan. It's got Petra in it, places like that. What we know today is southern Jordan. That became Edom. Edom. Esau's descendants became their own nation. And Edom and Israel were enmity for centuries. The prophet Obadiah talks about it and all sorts. There was enmity between these two nations, even though the forefathers had made it up after 20 years. And in fact, it's indicative, when Jesus was born, Herod heard that the Messiah had come, here's by the wise men, and he, he feels threatened, he feels his position threatened, and he orders the infanticide of 20 or 30 children under the age of two. It's in the Gospels, isn't it? He orders the, the, the killing of these under two-year-olds. Herod was an Edomite. Herod the Edomian. It's Herod the Edomite. And that's just representative of what's going on between the two nations. Unforgiveness may have been solved between Jacob and Esau, but it was already in their families and already in their clans. We've got to be so careful the difference that unforgiveness makes and therefore the difference that forgiveness makes. Forgiveness frees other people. But actually, I suggest, more importantly, forgiveness frees you. We build our own prison in our bitterness, 
in our feelings for other people and our unforgiveness for other people. Forgiveness actually unlocks yourself more than the other person, doesn't it? So what is your natural response in situations like this? What is your default mode? Is it grace or ungrace? Is it forgiveness or unforgiveness? Jacob and Rebecca are motivated by selfishness, by greed, by jealousy. The thing is, she didn't even need to have done any of this. It had already been pronounced and decreed by God. In Genesis 25, verse 23, it says, And the Lord said to Rebecca, Two nations are in your womb. This is when she was pregnant with the twins. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The, young, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. It had already been decreed by God. So what is she doing trying to manipulate things and make sure it happens? Where was her faith, for starters? But my main point here from this passage, before we move on to the next story, is this. Asking the question, why didn't it say, by faith Isaac did something else? Why did it say, in Hebrews 11, by faith Isaac blessed his sons? I suggest it's because of this. Because he didn't try to revoke the blessing over Jacob when he realised he'd been deceived. So that would be my natural reaction. Oh, oh, we got it wrong. Right, call him back and we'll have another chat and we'll start all over again. He didn't. By faith, he trusted that God was in this. I've been trying to work out if he actually gets to hear what God says to Rebecca, if she's had words with him, if he knows what God has decreed over the sons when he talks to Rebecca. But either way, by faith, he trusts that God is in this. He stuck to his original pronouncement and he reinforced it too, like I say, when he sends him away. Isaac, as the heir and the steward of God's covenant blessing, he acknowledged that he had solemnly transmitted that heritage to Jacob by way of this legally binding request, if you like. He trusted that God was sovereign and we would work through this. And there's that prophecy coming true. Albeit by man's manipulative means, God still used it. So let's find out what happens to Jacob when he gets older. On the way, he's also met with God in a powerful way uh, he has a dream with uh, you know, Jacob's ladder. You know that story. I'm not going to go into it now, but he has quite a powerful uh, meeting with God through that. He also ends up wrestling with a man all night, ends up with a dislocated hip. Turns out he's been wrestling with God. It's quite an amazing story. Read it if you can. And from that moment, he's a changed man. You realise he's met, truly met, with a living God. So now we're going to meet a very, very different Jacob. In Genesis 48, note here, he's also got his son Joseph back from the dead. Joseph in his technicolour dream coat, you know the story. As far as Jacob, who's now called Israel, as far as he's concerned, Joseph's dead. He's found him, he's alive again, he's the Prime Minister of Egypt, of all things. So he's got his son back, and now he's calling his grandsons to him, again, to be blessed. We'll read nearly all of the chapter. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, Jacob, same guy, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Fifty years earlier, this is what I was talking about just now in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons 
born to you in Egypt, before I came to you here, will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padem, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? Who do you think, Granddad? You just asked for them. I don't get that bit. They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. And then Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. Does it sound familiar? Echoes here, aren't there? So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. He's crossed his arms here. Though he was the younger, crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. You see, the right hand is, the, is a symbol of strength and leadership. It's an imparting of favour by that hand. Where does Jesus sit right now? At the right hand of the father. That's what it represents. So Joseph sees what's going on here. He says, Dad, what are you doing? So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. There's prophetic at work there, isn't there? He knew, he knew. Just as Jacob's father Isaac had blessed in faith, Jacob here too blesses in faith because he was prompted by God to swap his hands and to make a prophetic blessing over his grandsons as further demonstration by God of his election plans. He'd chosen what was going to be happening through Israel and through the nations and he was inspiring, revealing through Jacob, Israel, to swap his hands. And so Isaac blessed by faith because he trusted God rather than man's wrongdoing or manipulation. He didn't try and undo that. He simply trusted God in that. And likewise here, Jacob himself, he blessed by faith because he trusted God and his prompting to swap hands. Because Jacob knew exactly how he had received his blessing, doesn't he? He's not going to forget that, is he? He knew he got it undeserved and in a thoroughly sinful manner. And this time he acts in a righteous manner. He's a changed man. He recognises the grace upon his life Despite his background, his history, what he's done, he recognises the grace upon his life and pays it forward. Does that sound familiar? He became a changed man just prior to the moment he was reconciled with Esau for the first time in 20 years and he wrestled with God 
And he finally stood in faith, trusting in that promise over him and being called Israel for the first time. He's changed from mummy's boy to a prophetic father, from Jacob to Israel. He's a changed man. And so the main point for us, it's a simple one really, isn't it? God blesses us in abundance as his children. Whether we deserve it or not, we don't, do we, at all. We have his right hand on our heads, directing us, pouring favour over us. I didn't actually realise until I was preparing this sermon how much I placed my right hand on Amy's head. I do it a lot when she comes to me when we're crossing the road. My right hand is just on, on the head, just at the back of her head. It lets her know her dad's there beside her. It lets her know she's safe. It lets her know where I am. I'm guiding her as I'm crossing the road. She knows she's safe. And I'm guiding her between the space and the parked cars. It's just a natural thing I do. I didn't realise I'd do it. That's exactly what God does with us. Know his right hand upon your head right now as one of his children. Guiding you, directing you, letting you know you're safe and he's with you at all times. Because it flows out from there. Why do we lay hands on each other when we pray? It's a thing we do, particularly in our stream of churches, if you like. We, we lay hands on each other. Why is that? It's not magic. It doesn't matter if you, if you don't get to touch the person while you're praying for them, they're not going to get all the blessing. It doesn't work like that. That's, that's crazy. But there is a biblical principle behind it. See, you read through the New Testament, how many times does it get mentioned about laying on of hands? It's a huge amount. It's Jesus' main method of praying for people. Luke chapter 4, it says he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Mark 10, I like this one, he took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. It's something he did naturally. And the newborn church, throughout the book of Acts, you read through the letters as well, there's multiple examples. They followed his example and laid hands regularly as a means of imparting blessing. We practice it still today. We're just simply following our Father's example. All because we, by faith, we believe we are his people and with his right hand upon our heads. We're simply following his example, placing our hands on other people as we pray for him. It's an imparting of blessing. And so the implications for us today, it's this flow. Implication for us is a way of irrevocable blessings over us. Just as Jacob's blessing was irrevocable, it wasn't taken back, it was set in stone. We have irrevocable blessings over us as his children, set in stone. Once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. The question should be, if saved. If saved, always saved. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are signed, sealed and delivered, if you like. And say, here, God chose Jacob to father a nation, regardless of his selfishness, his weakness, his greed, his jealousy, his willingness to be manipulated by his mother of all people. In the same way, God chooses us, despite our sin, despite our weakness. Exactly the same way. What is our response? Do we step into these promises, really? Because the key isn't going to get these promises going to get these blessings, the key is actually accepting them. They're already there, available, freely available for us to step into. By faith, we need to understand God's sovereignty, his will, our standing in him, our future hope in him. When by faith you can stand in that, you really understand what it means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's all because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus is our blessing, in fact. It's in him, 
is the key to our co-heirship with him, our inheritance of eternal life, our freedom from sin and death and shame and guilt, because he became a curse for us so that we might receive his blessings. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. The whole point of the law wasn't to make people holy. It was God pointing out to humanity that you can't be pure by your own actions. No man other than one person, Jesus, can keep that law perfectly. And that was the point of it. It was to lead the way to see, guys, you can't do this. You need my son. So Galatians 3.10 continues to say, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And then in verse 13 it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. For that 30 odd hours on that, in, that, in that grave, what he went through on that cross, utter separation from the Father, and they've been in perfect communion forever before then. Utter disunion from his own Father, and he became a curse for us so that we don't have to receive those curses. We don't have to receive death, eternal death. We don't have to go to hell and be eternally separated ourselves from the Holy God. We can receive his blessings because he became a curse for us. And so by faith, Steve, insert your own name here, Steve can pronounce blessing over those with whom he has any form of influence, anyone I meet, because I am chosen despite my sin, despite my nature, despite my heart. I am blessed beyond comprehension because God has a purpose for me and he does for you. We need to step into these promises. These are true. They're all in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, is blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. We never get to the bottom of that list. It's massive. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. It's our calling. This is what we are meant to be doing here in life is passing on the blessings that we have received from our Father. Jacob was sinful, weak and devious. Steve is sinful, weak and devious. Jacob was bestowed with grace upon grace, despite that. Steve is bestowed with grace upon grace, despite my sin. Jacob was used by God to bestow further blessing. And God willing, Steve is and will be used to bestow further blessing because of who I am in Christ. It's exactly the same. You and me. There's a film came out about 10 years ago, I can't remember what year it is, called Pay It Forward. I don't know if you want to see it. It's a Kevin Spacey film. It's worth watching. It's about this young school lad called Trevor. And he's inspired to come up with a simple idea that will make a difference. And he comes up with this idea that every time someone pays him a favour... He won't pay them back. Instead, he will pay three more people a favour and ask that they in turn, every time they receive a favour, will pay forward the favour to three other people. Rather than doing tit for tat all the time, keep paying it forward three times, over and over. And actually, as the story goes on, he ends up starting up a revolution. And the lady who wrote the original book, she's now set up, she's a non-Christian lady, she's set up what's known as the Pay It Forward Foundation, where people go into classrooms across America and inspire students and teachers 
to put this into action. She's making a difference. If non-Christians can do that, then we have every responsibility to rise to the challenge of paying forward the great blessings we have over us as God's children. We should not bless others in order to be blessed. We should not bless others in order to win their approval, influence people, or as an obligation, moral duty, simply because we have been blessed. It's as simple as that, isn't it? We give because we've been given. We don't work out what our tithe is. Is it net or gross? Well, what's my income again? We simply, because we have been given every blessing under the sun by the Father, we just worship with our wallet, knowing he'll always sustain us and he'll always give us our daily bread. It's two different things, isn't it? It's not just money, it's time, energy. Some of us involved in summer club a couple of weeks ago shattered ourselves doing it, but we loved it, didn't we? It was brilliant, it was fantastic. And I know every member of that team wasn't there out of obligation or guilt. It's because we simply wanted to pass on the blessing that our Jesus had given to us and pass it on to these kids and help them know something more of our lovely Jesus. I know everybody there was with the right heart. It was paying forward our blessings to these children in Herne Bay. We pour grace on others because we have had grace poured on us. We love because we are loved. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. He got in there first. Never forget that. We forgive because we are forgiven. Just this week, I'm not going to mention any names, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but some people here have really, really blessed someone else in this church in a massive way, a big way for them. And it's just it's exactly that. I'll commend you guys. Thank you for doing that. But it's paying forward blessing to someone else. One more small scripture just to read. Luke chapter 6, as we end. Jesus himself, himself speaks into this exactly. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. For I tell you who hear me, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. They don't deserve it necessarily in earthly terms. Doesn't matter, he says, pray for them. If someone strikes you one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Paying it forward. By faith, we know we have been blessed beyond our imagination. And so, by faith, we can go on to bless him and bless anyone and everyone we come across. We meet all those around us, despite their manipulation maybe, despite their undeserving nature or behaviour, maybe. doesn't matter. Simply because God himself has bestowed immeasurable blessing upon us as his sons and daughters. Let's pay it forward this week and the weeks and months and years to come. Just remember, each day, 
who you are in Christ. Remember that you are blessed beyond your imagination and you can't help paying it forward. Remind yourself each day of these truths. Shall we pray? Lord Father, you are a good, good God. You're an amazing God. Each time I think more about my heart, my sinful reactions and responses to situations, and I recognise how much I don't deserve what you have poured upon me. And yet you're a good God. and You have shown mercy and grace upon me. You sent your son to this planet for me. To die on the cross and become a curse for me. That I might receive every blessing as your child. Lord, teach each one of us. Teach each one of us to remember to pay forward the blessings you have put upon our lives. Just as Jacob became a changed man, despite his history, you used him and he was willing to be used. Lord, here we are and we say, it's a big prayer to pray. Lord, we're willing to be used. Teach us to do things out of the right heart, not because it's an obligation, not because we should, not because we want to win people's approval, but simply because we are your children. Blessed beyond our imagination. We love you. Thank you so much. And Lord, remind us of this this week. Teach us and keep speaking to us this week. Challenge us as situations arise, what our natural response is and what you want us to do. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Got any questions? Come and find me or email me during the week. Please feel free. I love that kind of dialogue. If you want any prayer for anything, if you want to find out more about what I've been talking about this morning about Jesus on the cross, if you want prayer for healing or anything, come and find one of us at the front. If not, there are teas and coffees and flyers for the end of September to grab as well. So thank you guys.